0: This is John Defoe at John Sandoz's Bookshop in Chelsea, London. Many of you will be aware of our long enthusiasm at Sandoz for the Spanish writer Javier Marías, whose last book, Thomas Nevinson, has recently been published in English by Hamish Hamilton. I say last because, very sadly, he died last September. Our enthusiasm dates back to the mid-1990s. I recall reading his early books in their Harville editions Later I reviewed him, twice in The Spectator in 2001-2006 and once in The Literary Review, I think. He was a customer at Sandoz through all those years. Looking back now at those old reviews, I'm relieved to see that in each one I complimented Marius' translator, Margaret Jal Costa, and it is with immense pleasure that I welcome her now to our podcast to talk informally about this extraordinary writer and his work, welcome, Margaret.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, the first thing I occurs to me to ask you is, have you enjoyed translating him?
1: I have fortunately <laughs> because it been, it's been thirty years, so not to enjoy that would be sad to see. Yeah.
0: I mean, it must sometimes be people who translate with whom you have no rapport, but you find yourself having to do it for some reason.
1: Um, I usually try not to do that,
0: no.
1: because it's it's extremely unpleasurable to translate a writer whose style you don't like.
0: But over thirty years with with Marius, mm-hmm. uh, and there's been a lot of work, um, which I suppose we'll come to in a bit. How 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 involved was he in the translations? Because his English was extremely, I mean, if not quite bilingual. You...
1: Yeah. No, it was. Um, <laughs> I would say the first I did, I translated All Souls was the first novel I translated. And he did actually go through my whole translation and picking things up that I'd done wrong. Which, I mean, quite right too. But he also always said that he knew, because he himself was a translator, he knew how difficult it is to translate into another language, not your own. So and he, so was always, he that. Yeah. So he always said... um. He understood that it was my choice in the end,
0: what I wrote. yeah. I, I remember hearing him say at some point that uh, a reader in English would not have read a single word he wrote because it all came through the filter oh. of a translator.
1: Yes. But
0: he was very conscious of that. And indeed, Heart So White, as I recall, is has, it if not one, then both of the main characters are translators.
1: Yes, and uh, yeah, or in, later on, our interpreters. I mean, he was fascinated by the idea of translation and the process of translation because he himself did translate. I mean, later on, he stopped translating, but early on, he was doing a lot of translating and not writing himself.
0: That was when he was a don at Oxford in his twenties, was it?
1: Yes, I think so. Yeah, because he realized like, he always said that. He felt translation was a training in writing, which it certainly is.
0: He he. I know that he translated Stern, Stephen, or some Stevenson, Thomas Brown. Um, are, are those translations read in Spain? How? how I mean, it, it, it's often quoted that he translated them, but are, are they well-known translations?
1: Well, uh, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know because. Obviously, Stern isn't much read here either in English, and neither in Thomas Brown, certainly. No one reads Thomas Brown. But um so how well read they would be in Spain, I don't know. But I mean he won a prize, he won the translation prize for the, the Stern translation, certainly.
0: And um I I I always have the impression that that it was important to him that that process, as you as you said. Um uh, how how influenced was he in his own writing by what he translated? I'm thinking particularly of Stern, who is so digressive, and um, yeah. it uh, brings us to the nature of his writing. How 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 would you characterize his writing, which seems so distinctive? Yes, I th-
1: I think it's only. It's only since he died that I've sort of thought about his style in a way, which seems rather tardy, but um, I think he is a complete original in Spanish. There isn't anyone writing like him, and I think it is because of the influence of of English literature and American literature too, but particularly English literature, I think. And he, he was awful, often criticised in Spain, you know, people said, oh, you know, he's more English than Spanish. But he isn't. He is intensely Spanish as well. I think
0: there's nobody writing it like him in English, I can think of uh, after all.
1: No, not, not in this century. No, not in the twentieth century, really.
0: But the, uh, and his concerns seem to be very modern. In well, perhaps they say timeless. But um, the the writing he has these long, long sentences which. Mm-hmm unspool and unravel which seemed to be repetitive and yet you find yourself at the end of a page long sentence in a place you didn't expect to be there's a sense of him uh, showing you things that you bringing things back from an, a place that you haven't traveled to in his mind there's an extraordinary sense of of, of a display of a mind
1: Yes, definitely. And I I think the the long sentences, I, I love long sentences, which is fortunate. <laughs> because I, I translate him and I translate Saramago as well. And they both love long sentences. And I for me, the long sentence is precisely that. It's a process of thought. So you, you follow an idea through and there's lots of, in Javier, there's lots of perhapses and mightbes and possibles. Because there are always... Sort of he's looking at every possible angle of a particular idea or thought, which is very satisfying.
0: In in the trilogy, there's a phrase or sentence. Well, again, it's another aspect of his style, isn't it? You get repetitions of phrase and sentence which crop up not only within one book, but across multiple books. In the in the trilogy, you as I record, there's um I think it's his the the narrator's father who who says to him over and over again you have to look again and again and again and only when you think there's nothing else to look at does it become interesting Mm. something like that which almost might be a characterization of his style
1: yes and i think his father used to say i think he wrote somewhere that his father would tell him tell the children you know when no, keep thinking. No, go on thinking. You haven't finished your idea yet. And I think it was his father was a philosopher. And I think that was it was a training in thinking, really.
0: It's really interesting that, though, because you've you, you, in responding to that, have slipped from the fiction to the real life. That mm-hmm. there, the, from what one moment we're talking about the narrator in the trilogy and the, and the narrator's father, and then yeah. slip and say, well, Javier's father, was as if he have made an identity there.
1: Yeah, well, I think Javier's father is a constant presence hmm. in the novel. There are lots of old men, elderly gentlemen, whom he always admires. And I think they're all probably based on, apart from Peter Wheeler, who also appears and reappears, they all are based on his father, I think. And the, his father's experience during the Civil War was so... Uh, important. and it appears again again in the trilogy, obviously
0: and um the this slipping between f- f- fact and fiction, one never really knows wh- where one is within his work uh, in that respect i I'm there are real people crop mm. up. um you mentioned Peter Wheeler, who is everybody knows is based on Peter Peter Russell. um yeah. Um, Does, is it Eric Southworth? He's two, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are real figures. So you wonder then who is, when somebody is presented as a fictional character, uh, who they are based on, if anybody. And there's that curious thing in All Souls where it sort of in some way flipped on on him. It was thought to be a Roman clay.
1: Yes, I, it was, but then, in dark back of time, he says it wasn't, yeah, you know, but but I think inevitably, if you're a writer, you're going to well, the people you meet will inevitably, I think, crop up in some form in your fiction.
0: It raises the question that he's playing a very long game on his readers, or oh, how mm-hmm. there is a sense of him being very tricksy in that way.
1: I don't know if he if it is with himself. I think probably he's having that game, and the thing about the re, the repeated phrases and sentences and that's um, very self referential.
0: Mm. And
1: it's very is I mean in in a way you have to be the same translator for all those books because otherwise you won't remember, you know, when he said that particular <laughs> turn yeah. of phrase, you know.
0: Um. And yet he remembers it prompts me to um mention something which again i I heard him say once, which was that his process of writing his it's more technique, I suppose than style, was to write a page and then a, the next day he might correct it, but then he wouldn't go back no. um this. Sense that if he's written something, then he's committed to it. So if I don't know somebody's got red shoes on page two, he he he. It's almost like writing a novel in serialization form. So that if he wants to adjust something when he's at page one hundred, he can't do that. He so a sense that he has to abide by the consequences of what he has written.
1: Yeah,
0: which I find very very interesting because it embodies. In his technique, what he's writing about—the sense of consequences.
1: Yes, I mean that was his big thing. One of his main things was he didn't know where he was going with the writing, and um, and I do think that this led to the very very long books in the end, <laughs> mm-hmm. because, uh, in the because uh, the early novels are much shorter. Yeah, and I wonder if if he was still following that technique and those, or if later on he became more meandering and more, because there's great discipline as well if you can't change anything. Yes. Yes, because that's very constraining in a way.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, one wonders whether he found it constraining or liberating. It's, it seems such mm-hmm. a, because it's unnecessary for him to have done that. Yes. Um, it's a deliberate choice.
1: Yes. But I, I think he said that it was it was too boring. If you knew where the story was going, that's boring, you know. Whereas if you don't, it's more like life. You don't you have no idea where we're going, do we?
0: Yeah, I think but, it's... but exactly that mm-hmm. sense that he's doing it because not yeah. not not on a whimsical basis. It's a very very serious thing in, in a way. I yeah.
1: Yes, it's why he wants to surprise himself. I
0: think mm-hmm. because because the world is surprising. The world... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Similarly, that goes back to what you were saying about the use of maybe and um, perhaps. Mm -hmm. The sense that people are never fixed; they're shifting. It's this throughout his work. There, there there are so few events, but people are shifting sands. the nature of personal identity seems to be an abiding concern of his.
1: Well, I think that's particularly so in the in Bertha Isla and Thomas Nevinson. And but Bertha is always the same. Bertha Isla, she remains the same and and remains constantly faithful to I mean, faithful in her in her love for him. Yes. Which I find a bit unbelievable. <laughs>
0: <Literally>. <laughs> um yeah, I I suppose I agree with that. But it's a very uh, um, in case listeners haven't read that it's a very curious thing that happens. But Ber- Berta Isler, you you have to have read Berta Isla in order to read the recent of the final novel of Thomas Nevinson. Yeah, really, yeah. Nevinson is a sequel to Berta Isler. And Bertha Isler begins with this character called Thomas Nevinson being, who who is Bertha's fiancé, but he is bilingual and he's uh, leaving Oxford and he gets uh, drawn into um, working for MI5 or MI6. again it's another phrase which crops up again and again a building with no name an organization with no name
1: yeah.
0: um and um so he goes back to Berta in who lives in madrid and their marriage proceeds in this curious way where he's away for a couple of months or however long it is he never can say where he's going or why he's going or what he's doing mm. And so she gets used to that. And then, I think it's not causing a spoiler, one knows it's the start, really. He disappears for a matter of years. And you 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 say that it doesn't influence her, But it, actually, the whole novel is about its effect on her. Well, perhaps not the whole novel, but. Yes.
1: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think, obviously, she's shaped by that. But in a way, it's almost a romantic idea of the wife, the constant wife. It's, I mean, it's a bit like Ulysses, you know, and the, mm. the Odyssey, you know, mm. with Penelope waiting faithfully. It is that sort of thing. And I, I didn't, I d I didn't I'd say, I didn't find Bertha a particularly believable character mm. with I found Thomas Nevinson, even more so in the last novel, very believable. Of the, the damage it must do to someone to be pretending all the time to be someone else. Psychological mm. damage that must do.
0: Well, I suppose it's true that, that Nevinson is so so very flawed in so many ways and has had um this enormous trick perpetrated mm. on him. Yeah, yeah. Um the the um um Nevinson is a curious inversion of what happens in Better Isla, the the last book. Um, Suddenly um, the hunted has become the hunter. Mm. Um, And it made me think that in spite of what you were saying, that he just follow he doesn't know where things are going, he follows where they lead in a curious way the two books taken together better isla and thomas nevinson have a very very coherent shape
1: oh yes indeed yes And, and i think thomas nevinson is the sequel obviously because you see him when he has left the secret service or whatever it is but feels somehow diminished he doesn't like it again he says i don't you know being outside when you've been inside is yeah. very painful and so he does in the end he is seduced by the dreaded dupra who's his kind of master into getting back to that job and then regrets it
0: yeah the, the dreaded Tupra, this extraordinary figure, in yeah. who's through who's there all the way through the trilogy, mm-hmm. who's there all the way through the last two novels, and he's in most of the other novels. I he? think he
1: does Yes, he's obviously a figure that Javier found fascinating.
0: It struck me that at some point within better is that his use of MI six, MI five, the, the organization with no name, which Along with Tupra, appears everywhere. It's this sort of a, in his work. Um, it has a sort of godlike narrate. Not a, it's never the Tupra is never the narrator, but there's a sort of sense of it's as, as if it's referred to by the characters, as if it's it, it occupies a, a, almost a sort of godlike narr- narrator role and there's a sort of omniscience to this organization with no name
1: yes i mean i I think i think it was based on i forgot what it's called in the second world war that particular secret service was it sis or something yeah Um, because it's yeah
0: why was he so absorbed by i mean all his writing life he's it, it, it seems to be locked in a um, tussle a psychological intellectual tussle with secrecy with
1: well I think it, it, secrets he's fascinated by by secrets isn't he and, and whether it's wise to know someone's secrets or not I mean you get that in a heart so white where it really isn't a good idea to find out the truth
0: yeah I'd have to say in in his book buying, the, 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 there were a lot of detective stories we used to send yeah. and um, letters also collections of letters to, um, and, and ghost stories yes
1: he loved ghost stories
0: yeah um he, he seemed to have a, a, a an astonishing uh knowledge of mysterious byways of of, of english mm-hmm. literature um
1: Yes, I, did. I don't think he read many contemporary novels at all. I think he was fascinated, particularly in the 19th century, but even more so maybe the sort of 1920s, 1930s, yeah. and with films. Films. Yeah, yeah. he liked yeah. old films.
0: You, you mentioned about, going back to Berta Isla, um, that you didn't find her believable. His writing about women seems, what, what do you... Do you find it difficult did you find it difficult translating him as a woman? Sometimes he seems to be so abruptly sexual about his characters, um, or that seems to be the fir- first port of call, if you like, in talking about a woman in relation
1: yes, to this. Yeah, I did, I did sometimes find that that difficult i mean i know that in real life he was anything but a misogynist he was he had many women friends Mm. but i think there's something very old-fashioned about his attitude to women i mean for a start they all wear short skirts and high heels Mm. Mm. which i know very few women who do that (laughs) but it's a sort of 1950s like he loved anne margaret i don't know if you remember anne margaret you know it's that the old-fashioned view of women and it's and I I did find sometimes the the sex scenes a bit kind of cringe making to be honest.
0: Yeah, slightly.
1: I don't know if that's just me, but I think other women have felt the same actually.
0: No, I think that they are slightly,
1: mm-hmm.
0: slightly clunky. Um, mm-hmm. It's wonderful that he's interested. In the sexual relations between his characters, it would be implausible if he weren't. Given that yeah, he goes into every other yeah. aspect of them, yeah. but but they do uh, I, I, some occasionally that I find them a bit problematic. Um, in Spain, is how is he viewed in that in that respect? Does anybody grumble about him being a man's yeah. writer or a woman's writer? Yeah.
1: I don't know. I've never I've never heard anyone say that it's maybe more British women, I don't know, English women, I don't know. I can't, I, I really don't know, but it's just, there's some, I don't know. I mean, I kind of sort of justified it for him by thinking when he describes sex in that kind of very anatomical way, it's usually with sex with an, without any love in it. Because, yeah. you know, I think when he's in a loving relationship, he doesn't usually describe sex in that yeah. way. Yeah. So that might be his justification. But, I mean, I, I don't like sex scenes in most books, actually. though
0: mm. so, I mean... no, they're notoriously difficult to do. Mm. yeah um, it, Again, it brings me to another thing, which is a constant, wonderful feature of his work, and often actually comes out of the sex scenes in one way or another, um, is humour. Yes. He's very funny.
1: Mm. And it. translating
0: him you must uh, over and over again sort of stumble and think okay so how am i going to convey Mm -hmm. the 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 absurdities that he he
1: loves absurdity Mm. but you see i think that's a very british sense of humor he has we have i mean we love Mm. the absurd i think i i do anyway and also Yes, he, he's very good on the absurdity of human beings. I mean, I always think of the, um, you know, the, the supper at the in, in All Souls at the, at the college mm. high table, and it's all those people are so utterly absurd, and he takes yeah. enormous pleasure mm. in that. And I, it was I loved. I mean, I love humour in novels anyway, so I was always grateful to him for.
0: And it, but it, it's it slips very quickly sometimes from. Absurdity into something very sinister. Oh, there's, yeah. um, there's a character in the trilogy. Suddenly, comes to me. Is he called Commendador?
1: Is,
0: oh yes. Is it the same one in in who crops up in Thomas Nevinson? I hadn't. I've only just thought he has a hairnet. Maybe yes. it's the same character. The well,
1: yes, because he's sort of dressed as he dresses as a kind of toriador, you know. Yeah. He's, he's like, but then, are you thinking of that scene where um, he gets beaten up in a toilet? Well, by Tupra? Y- y-
0: yes. But to, but to begin before you get there, mm. over and over and over again, mm. whenever there's a reference to him, he he reminds you that he wears this ridiculous hairnet. Yeah, I mean it's terribly it's terribly silly and
1: yeah.
0: um, persistent and therefore funny. And then it suddenly slips into this. Deeply sinister, terrifying yeah. scene.
1: Um, oh yes, yeah. yeah, I agree. I think. Well, I think also. I mean, Javier obviously was loved Shakespeare, and was very influenced by Shakespeare. and I, and I think it's that blend. You think of King Lear, you know, where you slip, you know, from comic scenes yeah. to horror. Yeah, and that, I think that's that's very important in in Javier as well. They they know. live side by side.
0: Yeah. Yes. And and it comes back to what you were saying about it being, it being influenced influenced by English literature. One has the sense that he he knew Shakespeare intimately yes, and, and was able to to mm. slide into a reference effortlessly and mm. in and out. Um another there's an sinister character in Thomas Nevinson who is a the henchman of tupra a the kind of henchman who's called blakeston oh yes blakeston and he he talks about his the hood on his coat
1: mm.
0: and nevinson suddenly notices that there's something in the hood of his coat mm. his attention is drawn by that and it, again it's just absolutely
1: ridiculous um, well, no, yes, but that's the thing. Blakeston is, you know, a hitman basically. Yeah. He's, but he's also ridiculous. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I mean, Tupra is ridiculous too. Yes. In a way.
0: He, he, yes, but so I mean, again, the the, the sort of comic motif he, he used with Tuplet it, is reminding us incessantly that he, of his aliases. Um yes. oh yes it's um tupra or your or um whatever oh, they mean. Endless, endless
1: endless
0: Yeah. it's lovely but lo- beautifully silly as well yeah. um wh- where would you start with reading him I- i'm often asked in, as in a bookshop where yeah. which, and i i have no very stock answer where w- where would you start
1: I think start at the beginning. I mean, start with all souls Mm -hmm. and just work your way through, really. Because then you you get the whole evolution because there is a change in length, apart from anything else. Yes. Also, in turn, because I think the spy element doesn't come in until later. It's not really until the trilogy. Yeah. This obsession with the spy and with the past. Yeah. You know, past past evils, which live on, you know,
0: there's a, there's a curious thing in the trilogy, though. There's a progression. The, the first volume of the trilogy seems, as I recall, is has a great deal. Do- I mean, well, it should be said that there are no events in the trilogy. There's a drop of blood in the first few pages on the staircase. There's somebody who knocks on the door at the end of it. Yeah. Who, who, who to my delight, turns up in Thomas Nevinson,
1: mm-hmm. young
0: Paris nuish
1: Oh, peres Nuish, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but there are no events in it as they're all everything is tangential and peripheral. but nevertheless, the first volume of the trilogy, as I recall, is to do has greatly to do with civil war. Mm. And the second volume has to do with him dealing with other people. And the third volume seems to be removed further inward to dealing with knowing himself. It's, I, I remember that striking me at the time, but I don't know whether I was reading something into it. Is it something that you, you've ever thought?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I find it very difficult to separate them out, because he, he, he was going to write that as one book. Was he? Yes, which would have been big, really. <coughs> yes. Um, But he wanted to, he actually produced them in volumes like that, because he wanted to um, get them out before his father died especially the first two, especially the first one, because it was about the Civil War and about his father. Yeah. So I, I think, I and I really, I, I would find it hard to to separate them out like mm-hmm. that.
0: Uh, we haven't addressed the curious thing of Redonda, um, uh, which people talk about, and it's funny, him having been the, the so-called king of so-called Redonda, which is a delightful red herring about his work but it does come into his work as well um
1: oh with gorsworth
0: yeah um and dark back of time um Mm. but um the 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 whole process of, of translating him it it must be funny him being gone now margaret i mean and thinking that there are no more big novels perhaps there are i don't know but...
1: no not that i know of no no it is it is strange that not to that i won't get any more novels by him to translate but the same with sara Margo, sara Margo died and that was that you know so yeah. you have to accept accept that really
0: yeah there's a with somebody with such a distinctive style, it becomes, I think, very hard sometimes if you're used to reading them to to make any evaluative judgments. You just read them almost as a, it's like uh, the voice of a friend. It's a familiar mm-hmm. voice. Um, yeah. I find that sort of sad to think, well, I won't get that voice again in in, in a, any new way. But um, then again. Perhaps there's lots of journalism, isn't there? Do you think any of that will be yes. translated?
1: Well, um, Alexis Groman and I we did a a collection of some of his articles, and we are talking about perhaps doing another collection. Oh. the voice is very different, is it? Journalism,
0: oh. yeah. Um, I think we're coming to the end of our Zoom time. I should add that we that all his books are available um, and I, I hugely recommend reading him. He's been a wonderful um, figure in my reading life and in uh, I, as Margaret was saying in Margaret's translating life. and um, he has a great many admirers. He, he's a he takes you to places that other writers really don't. It, no. He's most unusual.
1: Um, I agree. No, I know it's been an enormous privilege to be able to translate him after all over all those years, and he was always so appreciative too, which was I'm uh, glad
0: of that. So he should have been, Margaret. So he should have been (laughs) because your translations are superb of a writer who must have been extremely difficult to translate because he's so makes such fine distinctions and. Um,
1: but, but precisely because he was such a good writer, he wasn't so very hard to translate, because I just had to follow what he did, really.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Margaret. Right. Um, and uh, I look forward to further collection with journalism at some point.